I'm Kim. And I'm Tara. Welcome to Unapologetically You. Today's guest is our friend Steve, who takes us through his journey to self-acceptance. Steve is a really good friend of ours, and he's one of the most positive and upbeat people that we know. He's always willing to do anything for anyone. He's just this really amazing human being. Yeah, he totally is. And what we didn't realize is that he is who he is today because of the struggles that he went through beginning as a child. His story is one that I think we can all relate to in some aspect. Listen in as Steve shares his struggles. Welcome, Steve. We're so excited to have you here today and to hear the journey that your life has taken you on. I'm super excited to be here, too. I'm ready to share. Steve, you are literally one of the most lighthearted, positive people we know. From all your daily posts that you put on social media that are funny, but yet meaningful, and also kind of being the guy that literally would do anything for anyone. And also being this amazing dad to your three kids. Have you always been this positive or has this been a transformation for you? Short answer is no, I'm not. I'm actually not positive a lot of the times, you know, the Facebook stuff, it has a dual effect, right? I put that out to do, to give positive messages and something not political or negative on Facebook. So people can have that, but it's also a lot of it is self care and self talk, you know, starting a day out with gratitude can change the way your whole day can go. So uh, thankful Thursdays, right? The whole thing started with Fun Fact Fridays just as a fun way to get people to engage on Facebook. And then I added to it. But um, so, you know, starting out every day with with gratitude or thanks can put you in a more positive mindset. And then I, I branched that into like well-being Wednesdays, which are just, you know, especially with all the negative stuff, you know, to right. just get something better for people to look at. And I've gotten a lot of positive feedback about it that people actually look forward to those. This wasn't, this this isn't even you all the time, right? You're saying that you do this, you know, to benefit other people. But again, that's the personality that we're talking about. You are this guy that like literally would do anything for anybody. I don't know how many times I've had to call you. You've had to help me out in a pinch once or twice and you help out a lot of other people in a pinch too. And so you're saying you weren't always this way. Like, so what were you like as a teenager? I had, you know, this um, big desire to to fit in and belong to groups, you know, and that in, in my teenage years led me down to where I made some bad decisions, like with the people that I would hang out with and stuff like that to where, you know, we got, I got involved with a group of people that, you know, we were a skateboard group, right? And we would do stupid things like tag and, you know, graffiti, which I totally got busted for. Um, but then we also started to get affiliated with uh, more with gangs. And right about the time that we got, we were getting affiliated with some hardcore gang presence in Elgin. That's when the whole thing fell apart. So it was actually probably a good thing. But that that need to be accepted and be a part of a community and be a part of something went that direction. I think a lot of kids get that too, because, you know, if you look at um, inner city and stuff like that. I'm totally talking off the wall because I don't know. I haven't experienced it, but I think that's why people gravitate gravitate towards gangs 
And, and that is for that sense of belonging when they maybe don't have a strong family unit or something that they can belong to, right? So I think we all have that, right? I think some of us go through that at like through elementary age. Some of us go through that in high school. Some of us maybe don't care and are introverts the entire time. And then finally you're like 30 and you're like, but I have no real friends, you know? like Right. But so you had that need obviously early in life. And my guess is you didn't have that acceptance pre-teenage years then. So I was diagnosed with ADHD before it was ADHD, back when it was just ADD, um, back in the second grade, which would have been a long time ago. Um, (laughs) But back before it was like mainstream and really known about, and it was not really a lot of people knew about it, which made me a different kind of kid because I was always hyper in class. I was always getting in trouble in uh, Catholic school. They went first, second, and third grade at Catholic school. I spent a lot of time in the nurses, or not the nurses, the nun's office who happened to be the principal because I would constantly get in trouble. But then because of that, I was picked on a lot, I think, because of that, because I was the weird kid, right? So like the seventh and eighth graders would, you know, they'd chase me around at recess and steal my shoes, and I used to get thrown in dumpsters. What? That's so mean. I think it happened like twice. I got thrown in the dumpster behind the school. And uh, I do remember one time they tried to, and I just, there was a chain link fence and I hung on to it and I bit the kid and I, I bit him hard too. Cause you know, so I learned how to fight in like first and second grade and not fair because there's no such thing as fighting fair. Right. So where I lived, I had to ride the bus home and the bus was that same age group. So the same, um, you know, junior high kids at the, at the Catholic school that picked on me would pick on me on the bus. And I remember you know, getting into fights with seventh and eighth graders, like fist fights on the bus. So yeah, so I think that that opened the doors for me wanting to be a part of something, you know, for a couple of reasons, to belong, to be protected, you know, and feel like you matter, right? Right. That makes sense. Because honestly, all those moments, especially from a child's eyes and a child's emotions, like those are traumatic experiences for an adult, let alone a little kid who's being bullied significantly. I mean, getting thrown in a dumpster, like, are you kidding right. me? So yeah, so then you fast forward to the high school years where, you know, we get get involved with gang involvement and stuff like that. Because I mean, I was born and raised in Elgin. So it's not like the toughest town in the world, but there certainly is that kind of element. So what happened after high school? I did not go to college. I had no plan for uh, further education. I was actually, I went in the Navy and then got kicked out of the Navy. When I, when I got recruited for the Navy, uh, at the time you were not allowed to take medication for ADD, ADHD. Right. So I told my recruiter, he's like, that's cool. Just stop when you go in and you'll be fine. And also don't tell him about any of the other stuff. Like when I was arrested at 17 and well, the, when you go into the military, and I don't know if this is like this for all the other branches, but in the Navy, um, you get there, and the second day that you're there, they do this thing that's called a moment of truth, right? Where they say, if you have lied to us, or you haven't told us all the truth, or you're holding something back, and we find out, and we will find out, we will throw you in the brig, and we will give you a dishonorable discharge that you'll carry with you the rest of your days. So I told them everything that my recruiter told me not to tell them. Like the fact that I was arrested, I did get, I had a conviction, but I did, I did um, community service and commuted that sentence and, and everything. So I served my time. And then also that I had, you know, taken medication up until this point, but I spilled the beans because, you know, I don't want to go to jail. Right. right. 
I certainly don't want to have a dishonorable discharge that's going to follow me around. So um, because of all those things, they said, all right, well, you're going home. And um, they gave me what's called an entry level separation. So it was basically like I was never there. How did that feel? Well, and then it, it, the the story is a little bit more complicated because I, so that was my plan after high school. I was, I actually scored really high on the ASVAB. That's the armed service voca- vocational ability battery. They're like, you did really well. How about you take this other test? And they gave me the nuclear engineer, whatever test. And I scored high with that. So I was going in for a six year term right off the bat at 18. And then, and then to have that then taken away and then I, and then I go home and and life's supposed to go back to normal with no plan. I did start going to ECC, but then I was just, you know, started working. So how old were you when you met your first wife? 22. And then we got engaged in 2001. So you'd been dating for a few years prior to getting married. Yeah, I've been dating for a couple of years, broke up for a short amount of time in the meantime. But then we, we got back together and then we um, we got engaged. Um, so I just bought a new car and just bought her a ring and we had all these plans. And then I lost my job. The, the car, I found another one. So then we did that. We got married in 2002. She got diagnosed with... Uh, what's called an arterial venous malformation in her brain and wound up having brain surgery in 2003. Oh my gosh. So then that got all taken care of. In the meantime, um, my ex-wife then realized that she needed to take some time off of work because she she had brain surgery and then went back to work probably sooner than she should have. And then she needed to, to scale it back a little bit. So she quit her full-time job so she could, you know, focus on getting healthy and everything. So with that, I started looking for part-time work so I could work two jobs to, you know, kind of make everything happen. And that's how I fell into becoming a firefighter. So I put in an application. And then while I was at, this was while I was still working at a full-time at a place in Elgin. Then I started with the Alburn Fire Department. And I went through EMT school, which is it was night classes for, I don't know, about five months. And then I started working shift. And then I went to the fire academy, which was night classes for about five, six months, and then weekends. So I was working a full-time job while doing all this. Um, in the meantime, I was then spending too much time away from home because I was trying to make all this thing work. Right, so then right. my wife at the time was finding other ways to entertain herself uh, with other friends and then drinking, got into drugs. Then eventually she got into other men. Uh, And I found out a lot of this stuff from finding things lying around the house and, you know, finding out like she would go out of town with her mom, but she wasn't, she was out of town with some other guy. But, you know, like when you're in a relationship, you have blinders on sometimes. So you don't know all these things that are going on around you. Well, and you're just like busting your butt trying to like work full time plus do this whole thing. So it's like, you were doing exactly what you should be, if not more, you know, like. Yeah. And I'm sure there's more to the story that I'm not aware about. I mean, I'm sure there probably is some feelings of um, abandonment on her part. Uh, we wound up getting divorced. We, we separated five days before Christmas in 2005. Not that oh I remember. Oh my gosh. Um, I moved out. I found an apartment and, uh, and then I left her with the house. Meanwhile, what I didn't know is she stopped making the mortgage payments on the house because at the time that I left, we had the next, it was a duplex 
And the people that lived in the other half of it wanted to buy it from us so they could rent it out. And we would have made a profit. Um, when we eventually did sell it in 2007, I had to pay to get rid of it because we were upside down. So there's some, there's some more trauma. Let's pile on some more trauma, right? Yep. And um, so, you know, I lived, I had a great support system at the fire department because what I found tying this all together with the fire department was a community and a, and a sense of, of place where I belong and where right. I needed. And, and uh, it's, uh, it was huge. Right. Um, so, so I went to medic school and, and, September, I think, of 2005, got separated in December of 2005. So I did medic school, and that was my only job. I was working as a part-time firefighter, going through medic school, dealing with the divorce, you know, Which and all this so stuff. so heavy. Like, that's – especially, like, that specific type of situation, you know? Like, it's not only – like, not only did you get burned in the marriage, but then – you got burned even with the house after everything is done and over with. And now you're trying to rebuild your life, right? Right. So how did you meet Annette? Okay. So how did I meet Annette? We got to rewind back to 97. So you met Annette pre-first wife. Yes. So this is a fun story, right? Um, so, <laughs> so my parents used to go out of town all the time and they know this. We told them this a couple of years ago, right? And when my parents would go out of town, I would have parties at their house. I would have friends over. Well, my one buddy, uh, Jay really liked this girl, Sherry. And so she was coming to the party, right? Well, she needed, Annette came as a, as her wing girl. And Annette was like, yeah, no, I'll go along, but I'm not, whatever, you know? Well, she walked in and I looked at all my buddies. I'm like, dibs. I got, she's hot. <laughs> we, uh, we got together and we dated for a year. So now I'm 20, yeah, 20. And she was <clears throat> 17. <laughs> we dated for her senior year of high school. Uh, fast forward a little bit to her high school graduation party. Now I was completely head over heels in love and you know wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. So I proposed to a girl at her high school graduation party. What a dummy. Totally freaked her out. And at the time, she was trying to decide whether she was going to go to NIU or she was going to go to college in Wisconsin. Well, freaked her out, made her decision easy. She broke up with me and went to school in Wisconsin. Aww. So the, our lives then split. I didn't talk to her. I, I Maybe I saw her once or twice at a party or something like that when she would come down and visit. But um, it really went in, in separate directions, but parallel lines because she wound up marrying her ex-husband. Now the same year I married my ex-wife, she entered the civil service. She became a cop the same year I became a firefighter Weird. and then she divorced her ex the same time as I divorced my ex. So we had these two paths, you know, traveling the, the trains, as it were, were traveling parallel lines. So then uh, you fast forward and we had reconnected the same girl, Sherry, who introduced us in the first place, um, reconnected us. Like she, Annette was wondering whatever happened to me and then got my number from Sherry and texted me. And so one day I'm sitting at the bar with my buddy. You know, I was texting with Annette and I'm like, hey, why don't you drive down here and have a drink with us? Because, you know, it's 
two and a half hour drive. Why not? You know, so <laughs> so she's like, no, I got I got to work tomorrow. I got things to do. Why don't you come up here? So I looked at my buddy and I said, hey, dude, road trip. And he's like, road trip. So we hopped in my car and we drove up to Wisconsin. And I feel bad for him because he sat on the couch playing with her cat for like four hours while we reconnected and rehashed like 10 years. Right. It's a dedicated wingman right there. That's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, a couple days later, I couldn't get her out of my head. And I was like, hey, you know, what do you think about giving this another shot? Do you think that we, we would work this time? You know, and she's like, no, I don't think so. Um, you know, you've got a girlfriend and, and this and that. And I'm like, yeah. I can take care of that, you know, because I'm really into you. And and, uh, and she's like, well, I'm not even going to talk to you about it. And I'm like, no, that's valid. So I broke up with my girlfriend the next day. And then I called her and I told her, I'm like, I, I really want to give this a shot. And she uh, she's like, okay. So then a month later, she sold her house and moved to Illinois. And we've been together ever since. We got married in 2008. So and... Oddly enough, you and Annette have the exact same experience at the exact same time until you randomly meet again. Like, if that's not divine intervention, I don't know what is. <laughs> right. Um, that was around the time that I left my one fire department and went to St. Charles, where I am now. And doing that, uh, I took, let's see, it was a, about a 25 thousand dollar pay cut, not counting overtime. And with overtime, it was probably around a $40,000 pay cut to go from one place to another. So now why did you leave Albert? So that goes back to sense of belonging and community. And, and this is my story, not everybody's story. Um, So I have to preface it and I don't hold anything against anybody. um, But this is just how it went down for me. Right. So uh, it was, they've only been a full-time department since about 2001. Before that, it was, it was, um, a volunteer fire department and it was, uh, an EMS department. They were two separate entities, right? They joined together and they hired full-time people in 2001. And then it was, there wasn't a lot of them and they weren't making a lot of money and they really, um, they really built the department. A lot of them are still there. And they really built that department into the very, very class act department that it is today from kind of a volunteer department. Nothing wrong with volunteer departments, too. Um, It's just took a lot of blood, sweat and tears and growing pains. I came in in 2004, kind of in the middle of that as a a part time employee. And I worked my way up and I pushed um, and I and I. Like I pushed through EMT school as fast as I could. I mean, you have a pace, but then I got my fire academy done as fast as I could. And then I pushed to get in medic school because most of the places around here to get hired full time, you have to be a firefighter paramedic. Mm-hmm. And I knew that was the case and I wanted to do it. There's also a deadline of 35. If you're not already a firefighter paramedic, you can't be one after you're 35 years old. And I came into this late. I got hired as a part-timer when I was 28. And then I pushed my way through. I got hired full-time the year I turned 31. So I felt I had this feeling like I was running out of time. Plus, I wanted to belong uh, Mm -hmm. to to this community of full-time career firefighters. You know, it's 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 an enormously rewarding profession, Um, you know, 
as a paramedic, I get to help people as a firefighter, I get to help people. And there's, there's so many different levels of, of reward to this. And there's also so many different levels of community that, you know, you, you build bonds and, and, and family bonds. So the shift that I was on with, uh, for about five years in Elburn, we became very, very tight and we were a very good group of friends. And I still count them as some of my best friends to this day. In the growing pains of, of this, we made a business decision as the full-time firefighters of there to organize and become a union fire department. The chief at the time, who was a mentor of mine, he, I looked up to him immensely. Uh, he was, you know, kind of had this father figure thing for me, um, took it personally. And, and the entire environment at the fire department changed in 2009. And it went from a very comfortable, very inviting to a very hostile and vindictive place, right? And it was very much the administration versus the the union. And I, I was the charter secretary treasurer of the union. So I was kind of a figurehead because I like to be involved. I like to, you know, be a part of something. And I also don't like to say no, but it really changed the dynamic. And then this person that I, I saw as a mentor and as a, not a, maybe a confidant or whatever, it turned to then now he is my adversary. Yeah. And so that that had a big, big effect on me. And, well, that had to uh, really have hurt, like honestly, because you're looking at somebody like who I'm sure gave you a ton of advice and who like helped you navigate kind of through this whole firefighter world in general at first, right? Absolutely. So, and, um, and you know, so what that did was it, it did bring us, the firefighters closer together and we bonded even more because it was really a us versus them kind of kind of thing where we needed to have each other's backs. So it did help in that. But then in the process, then the administration took all of us and broke us up and moved us to different shifts. And so we weren't together anymore. So we, that family bond that we had for five years and that got really, really tight then was no longer there. So that was a big part of it. And all of these things are manifesting then in my life where I'm bringing this home from work and I'm bringing anxiety and anger and, and all these negative emotions into my home life as well as my work life. Cause I can no longer separate because I had, you know, I've got a family at home and I've got a family at work. And now my family at work is basically from a psyche point of view has gone through a divorce where now my, my work family is broken. And in the fire service, when you want to go somewhere, you don't, you don't just apply and get a job. You have to test for it. And usually you're testing against a couple hundred people and for maybe one or two jobs. So I, I started testing um, to make a statement. Well, for two reasons, three reasons. One, I wanted to see if I still could, because I, at this point, I was I was a little bit older. Um, I was 36, 37, I think. Um, so I started testing around to see if I still could and to give myself options and then also to make a statement, because I was one of the most involved people, in my opinion. It's, other people might have different opinions, but I was involved in a lot of things at the firehouse I was involved. I was always 
Yeah, go firehouse. I'm going to give you everything. Oh, there's a volunteer opportunity. I'm in. Oh, there's this to do. I'm going to do it. You know, and so I wanted to send a message to the administration that if one of your more involved people is testing, there's a problem and there's something needs to be done. Well, when it came time, the city of St. Charles, uh, you know, my number came up and they offered me a job. I went and talked to one of the chiefs and I was like, hey, listen, he's like, get out. You know, he's like, good luck. Have a nice day. So hard for you. I mean, this has been your family for so long. Yeah, 11 years. Yeah, 11 years I was there. Ah, Steve, like that had to have been awful. (laughs) It was, it was terrible. Um, So that helped. And I I talked to another one of the chiefs there and he was like, you know, um, you're going to do great over there. This place is not good for you. Um, I wish you the best, but do it, you know. And so he was really helpful. um, But the one that I really counted on, you know, as a mentor and as as that friend, I mean, and, you know, we would go on motorcycle trips together before all this happened, you know, and and actually do things. So, um, yeah, that hurt. It sucked. Um, But that fine. My decision's made. I'm out of here, you know, and, and that's why I needed to reset. And I started over, you know, I went from being the third most senior, not officer at the fire department to starting over as a probationary brand new guy. And I did it. And that's an ego check too, but I did it because I had to, um, because I needed a reset and, and that helped, you know, now I'm not bringing as much baggage home, you know, and stuff like this. But, you know, I had still been bringing years of baggage home and dumping it on my family. So uh, in the meantime, that's when I started um, in therapy because I realized, well, there's a whole nother, a whole nother topic, but I realized that I needed help. In, the, in, in between that, a, a good friend of mine, uh, Matt, he's, um, he started the Illinois Firefighter Peer Support. Uh, group, right? It's an organization, it's a statewide organization where we support each other and give an outlet to where we can talk to each other without judgment, but also complete understanding of what you're going through. So like I can go talk to somebody and be like, dude, I had this call the other day and it's really gotten in my head and I don't have to explain what certain terms mean and this and that. I can just go have a conversation with somebody who's been there. And uh, I called him up one day um, this and this is kind of all happened right around the same time. And I'm like, you know, I've got a problem with like anger and all this stuff. And Annette's telling me that I need to get my stuff figured out or she's going to leave me. And I'm like, what can I do? And he's like, call this person. And she's a clinical therapist and she works with firefighters. She was part of the peer support organization and she's amazing. So I, and and having worked with firefighters and doing that, you can go in and talk to her and you don't have to explain what working shift means. You don't sure. have to explain what working on an ambulance is like because she's done her research and she's put her time in and she knows. So I worked with her for a number of years to try to get grips on how can I, you know, find ways, uh, better self-care, different ways to deal with these things, you know. Mm-hmm. And we can get into all of that a little bit. I'm not an expert in it, but how your brain changes as a firefighter because you're constantly exposed to elevated levels of adrenaline throughout an entire 24-hour shift. And that actually changes the, the um, size of different areas in your brain 
and having the chemical cortisol uh, released into your, you know, the stress hormone. Oh my gosh, that's um, fascinating. So, yeah, very fascinating. You know, and, and yeah, so, but you got to find ways to deal with that. Otherwise you just become, you come home and then all that stuff dumps because you're riding an emotional high for 24 hours, waiting for that next call or waiting for that next call. And then when you get home, you don't have that. So you don't have that high. So you go so from like gonna, a super high to a super low. Right. Bam. And that's where a lot of guys get caught up with drugs and alcohol or they self-medicate with sex or um, anger, you know, because anger puts you right back up there. You get angry because the dishes aren't done. Bam, I'm right back up there. Cool. I'm I'm on my high. What's the next thing? Oh, the carpets. Bam, I'm right back up there. So, um, learn, and this is where we get into wellness Wednesdays and thankful Thursdays yeah. because it's self-care and it's self it's it's self-talk that can help you discharge these things and help put you in a better mindset and um so yeah where were we going with this I mean I don't know that was fan uh, that was fantastic that was, that's actually very fascinating like who yeah, I guess that, I yeah like that's kind of blew my mind just but, like that it well, and nobody right. talks about it yeah well yeah nobody talks about anything right. like this like and we're not supposed to because we're tough macho guys right what well, one we're fixers you know who do people call when they have a problem sure. the fire department or the police department or right? steve seaweed just as a human <laughs> being <laughs> but yeah but we're fixers and yeah. that's so we're nobody's gonna fix us because we fix everything right. else yeah so and then and then also we're tough guys you know, we're not supposed to show emotion. We're not supposed to be sad. We're not supposed to be depressed. We're, we're supposed to get the job done and then be the rock that everybody else needs. Well, that time's gone. And we got to, and that's one of the things, the big thing about the Illinois Firefighter Peer Support Organization is, is to provide that outlet, a safe outlet where you can be a person and have emotions and, and it's safe. Yeah. And it's not, it's not, you're not going to be judged and you're not going to be ridiculed, but it's a safe place that you can, um, you can talk and, and guess what? It's okay to be human. And it's, it's something that we've done a disservice to men forever yeah. that you're not allowed to have emotions other than anger or like happiness, but you're not allowed to be sad. You're not allowed to be, to cry. You're not allowed to be, you know. So it's like, so it, it's something that I've been working on for, and it's so in, we'll go all the way back to the beginning. Have I always been happy and positive? No, not at all. Because uh, now you get all the story of, of why I do these things. And it's, it's to, to try to make every day a good day. It, but there is something to be said about that. Like your brain literally listens to what you say, right? So if you say mm -hmm. in your head, I'm angry and I'm super upset about X, Y, and Z right now, and you keep reiterating that in your head, your brain listens to it and perpetuates that situation and continues to make you as an individual an angry human being. In Absolutely. And instead of switching that that self-talk to yourself saying, you know, like I'm having a hard moment. I'm not an angry individual. I want to be better. I want to do better. That then 
eases your brain a little bit, but people don't realize, and we've never been taught that, that's never been in a school curriculum on how important self-care is. And Mm -hmm. especially in our society, like you said, I mean, boys, at least the last few generations for sure, have been taught boys are tough, you don't Mm -hmm. cry. Get back out on that field, Uh, you don't be a sissy, Don't be a whatever. Like, you need to be out there. Be strong. That is your job. You are a man. Right. And the reality is, is like, actually, you're a human before you're a man, right? You have feelings because you're a human being. And we don't acknowledge that as a society. And it's something I think that we all have to work at, especially like now that you're talking about in the firefighter industry. Of course, they're heroes. You know, like, you're a hero. A hero's not supposed to have any self doubt. Or any hard moments, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a reality of it. And I mean, what a fantastic though step to have this organization that you guys do have now, where you have a place to go and a place where you can be this human being and you can let your emotions out. Like that's a great, great thing that you have going there. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm involved with it. I've been uh well, in, shocking, in the right? <laughs> well, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, I've been in the organization for a couple of years now, and it's crazy because I'll share this with you because we talk about you know crying and letting go and stuff. And uh, a couple of years ago, so you you how the class goes? It's a two day class, and um, or it was, and you start out where Matt, my buddy who started this at the time, he's no longer the director, um, but he was then, and he tells his story about how he, the family issues and this and that led to alcoholism and he wound up in rehab and this and that. And it's an amazing story. And then the room starts to get charged, right, with emotion because you can feel it and it's real. And then the next person tells their story, the next instructor, and then the next instructor, and then the next instructor. And then it gets to me, I just started bawling in front of a room full of dudes, you know, all firefighters, all guys. I got a, a fire chief next to me over here. I got another guy over here. And I'm like, and it was like totally I was totally embarrassed but it was also the whole point of it's a safe space and that you can do that so you know right there I'm hooked I want to be able to help other people get through whatever they're getting through because I'd rather sit and listen to the story this is a meme right but it's true I'd rather sit and listen to your story than sit and listen to your eulogy and firefighter suicide last year there were more firefighters that committed suicide than there were line of duty deaths and there shouldn't be any of that but firefighters are killing themselves in record numbers because they can't process all the crap that we have to process and they don't have an outlet and they don't know how to deal with it and um so i'm like make that my mission to to spread that as much as possible so like A couple things. Okay. So first of all, like good for you and good for Annette for recognizing all these potential things that could have happened with you. And you both kind of like stepped back and said, this is what it is. And you went out and got help and figured it out. But the other thing is, is like you said from the get go, was I always this positive? No. But like, to me, I feel like after hearing like a good majority of your story, that is who you are, Steve. That's who you've always been. You've always been searching for that group where you can be a part of it, where you can help. 
maybe no, you don't like to say no, and you do like that feeling of being liked, but you like that feeling of helping people and of and making a difference, people, right? Yeah, and of making mm. people feel better. And you're great at that, Steve. Like that is where you shine. You are a positive person, whether it's something you have to work at or not, like you are killing it. Well, thank you. Where do you see yourself now? Like, who are you now? How do you describe yourself today? It's still a struggle trying to find that balance. And I'm not a perfect person. So trying to find that balance between work life and managing three children that are so sick of being at home. It's a uh, it's it's a balance and that's why I continue trying to do the self-care stuff and then I've I've given permission to the kids to call me out on things. You know like hey dad you're you're being a jerk right now, you know as as part of that. So like if they do that if they're like hey dad, you know you're being a big jerk or whatever, how do what is that? Like then what do you do to resolve that like in the moment? That usually clues me in because I have a hard time and it's part of the ADD, ADHD is a hard time with impulse control. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I've been struggling with that my whole life. Um, But it, it gives me a clue that I need to remove myself. And that's the best way for me to do things. Like if I, if I find myself getting angry because like something's not done the way I want it to be done. Mm the way I think it should be done because I'm trying to control everything around me. So when they tell me, Hey, you know what, dad, maybe chill out a little bit. You know, then I, it gives me a clue that I need to step away and reevaluate. Does that mean I go into the garage and take 10 deep breaths and try to recenter or go up to my room? Maybe I need to take a nap because I didn't get about three hours of sleep the night before Mm -hmm. or something like that. But, and I think they're realizing more that it's not, it's not them, you know, cause kids are like, oh, dad's mad. Is he mad at me? And it's not them. It's, it's my own issues. And, and we're, we're getting there through education with them as well as educating myself because obviously I don't want to be that guy who stomps around all oh, Hulk's home, you know, and I, I'm constantly working on myself and constantly trying to be a better person. So when you do all your Facebook posts for like the daily things that you do about, you know, like the wellness and gratitude and all those things, it's just as much to help you as it is to help everyone else. Absolutely. hundred uh, percent. So, I mean, obviously there's times where we've been talking to people on this, with this podcast that, you know, we don't know very well, or we haven't known yet. And when we get to talk to one of our friends and really dive deep though with one of our friends, it's so amazing because while we already loved you before, now we just have this whole new love and appreciation for you and and Annette and your family. And you guys are amazing. Right. Well, because like that. you're it's one of those things where like you're imperfectly human, right? That's all of us. Totally. But yet right. here you are, like recognizing like while I'm imperfect, I can try to work on the pieces of me that would make me a better human being. And like, if we all did that, this world would be so much better. Like, totally, absolutely. Everybody should be working on themselves. There's nothing negative about it. I don't know where that assumption came from, but to to, to hear like, hey, maybe maybe we should educate ourselves on X, Y, or Z, whether it's self-care, whether it's social injustices happening, whether it's what whatever it may be. 
it's entirely okay to want to be right. better. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, and it's okay not to be okay. Right. You know, totally. Oh, I appreciate that. I mean, again, it's, I just want to be loved, you know? <laughs> well, you are a friend. Well, you are a friend for sure. Everything that you've kind of told us today, obviously has not been easy to share the vulnerabilities um, that you're sharing as a as a man and as a firefighter are difficult to tell sometimes. But I think you acknowledge and we acknowledge that there is so much to learn from each other. And unless we're all honest with each other, people aren't going to learn what we what we could teach each other. So thank you That's so cool. much. What advice would you give a young man who went through similar struggles, who maybe dealt with bullying like you did? Wow. Um, okay. The things that happen to you in those situations where you're bullied or you're traumatized are number one are not your fault. You didn't do anything to make that happen. You didn't do anything to deserve that. And so you have to go forward knowing that you deserve better than that and go find better because you're not going to, you can't stay in that hoping to get better from the people that are doing that to you. So if you're, if you're constantly exposed to those people, go find something better and do that. And Steve, so where you're at now obviously has come from this lifetime of lessons you've learned all these things, you know, like the whole, all the bullying that, for example, that you went through has kind of made you where you are right now and wanting to help people and wanting to make this a better place for everyone. But now looking back, is there anything that you would have done differently or do you have any regrets? Uh, um, uh, well, you know, I've thought about that before. And obviously you can think about things and you can say, you know, I would change this and I would change that. But I don't think you can because if you change something that you've been exposed to, then you're not going to be the person that you are now. And you won't have the experience to do that. So if I said like, I wish I had never been married to my first wife, then I wouldn't have experienced the things that make me appreciate my wife now as much as I do. Right. Um, and, and, you know, if I could save myself getting thrown in a dumpster in second grade, eh, maybe, but I, would I really appreciate not being in a thrown in a dumpster for the next 30 years? Probably not. So, or whatever. So um, I don't think I would change anything. That is a part of the healing process. I feel like once you recognize that whatever happened to you was a part of your journey and who you are today, you just got to own it, right? I yeah, mean, totally. Absolutely. Um, okay, so what have you learned about yourself going through this entire process? Uh, man, you know, one of the biggest things I've learned is that I can't do things by myself. Um, you have to get help one way or the other, you can't go through life alone and you can't go through life thinking that you can do everything because you can't. Um, whether, whatever you find, if it's God, if it's a significant other, um, you need something because you can't stand alone. It's too tough. This world is too, too tough to try to stand alone in it. So you have to find something to help prop you up in the times where you're going to fall and somebody that you can do that to as well, you know, or something. So, yeah, that's what I think the thing I've learned the most besides that I'm also not perfect. That's another big one. And I can't demand perfection of people because that was a big thing that I had to learn the hard way with children um, is that 
none of us are perfect and it is not fair for me to demand perfection of them, even though I strive for it of myself. Right. Right. And that's one thing like it, that your kids, your kids really teach you a lot. Like you can oh, totally. think, you know, so many things. And then once you have kids, you realize you don't know anything. So what's been the hardest part of your journey? Do you think? Um, wow. There's, I think the hardest part to date is realizing, you know, self-realization, realizing that I needed to work on myself and realizing that there were things that I couldn't control that I needed help with. You know, I did therapy when I was younger because you have to, uh, kind of would going through ADHD as a, as a young person trying to find coping mechanisms. So therapy wasn't new to me. All right. So along with that, Stephen, what's the biggest life lesson you've learned thus far? All you need is love. Ah, that's incredible. <laughs> no, but that's, I think that probably is the biggest life lesson because that, you know, if you ask somebody in different places in their life, what's the meaning of life? You know, if you ask somebody when they're 18, you're going to get a different answer if you're going to ask somebody that's 78. And the 78-year-old might say, "What you know, what's the meaning of life? Love, right? Whereas the 18-year-old might get there, but there's going to be 100 different steps in between where they're at and where that realization. And I think that's the biggest thing. The biggest realization that I've come to is, and, and, What's going on right now in the country has helped me get to that realization, you know, because all of the the racism and the protests and, and, you know, the virus and all this stuff. And we just, if we just treat each other with love, I mean, how much better would it be? We would have less misunderstanding and less, less confrontation and, and less division in the country if we could just have love and understanding. And so I think that's probably the the biggest lesson I've learned in the last few years. Can I get an amen, friends? Amen. (laughs) What do you hope is the biggest takeaway of your story for our listeners? I guess um, be nice to people, you know? I mean, I always... You know, that's that goes back to the whole the whole thing is the golden rule, you know, treat people how you want to be treated. And I think a lot of people just don't do that because they don't think before they do things and they or they're so selfish they can't think of other people. And I just hope that people would, you know, take the minute to think about what they're gonna do or what they're gonna say and how that's gonna affect somebody else's life for a minute, a second, a year, a lifetime. And cause it may mean nothing to you, but it could mean everything to them. Uh, I think that um, the biggest takeaway, I would think, is think about what your actions are doing to other people before you act, before you do those things, and and realize that everybody goes through life a little bit differently, right? So, Steve, before we let you go, we just have a few <laughs> fun pop questions for you. Okay, pop away. All right, question one. Justin Bieber or Justin Timberlake, Steve Seawee? Timberlake, all the way. Duh, right? Yeah. (laughs) All right. Toilet paper, over or under? Over. Yeah! It's the only way to go. That's how the, like, original patent shows it. It goes over. (laughs) All right. What's the most ridiculous fact you know? I think an avocado is a fruit. Um, It might be a berry, too. 
but I know it's a fruit because it's got a nut inside of it. What's your stance on pineapple on pizza? I love Hawaiian pizza. Oh, oh uh, no, it's, I didn't, I didn't do it for the longest time. And then I tried it and I'm like, this is actually quite delectable. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Last question. You're arrested. Sure. And what do your friends and family assume it was for? I, I, I'm not allowed to do anything wrong except for like get pulled over in Wisconsin for going through a pedestrian only thing. But did you hear that story? Um, <laughs> that would probably be it for like speeding or something, you know? Well, Steve, we cannot thank you enough for sharing your story with us and for sharing your light. You are absolutely amazing. Your positivity just radiates off of you. And we just thank you for being unapologetically you. Well, thanks. I appreciate the opportunity to come on and uh, talk with you. We're so happy you joined us, and we hope this story inspired you to be unapologetically you. Join us next time for another remarkable journey. And if you or someone you know has a story to share, please reach out to us on our website at unapologeticallyyoupodcast.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram at Unapologetically You Podcast. And please subscribe, rate, and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean so that we can continue to inspire you.